little context that I'll come back to shortly. And uh, it's in the book of Acts, the 11th chapter. And this is as the church at Jerusalem has been scattered due to persecution following the stoning of Stephen and the, the Jews began to be emboldened and they put pressure and persecution on the church at Jerusalem and uh, people were scattered as far as Antioch it says and, and we know that at Antioch the scripture says that the, that the disciples were first called Christians and uh, but here it, it talks about that I've got the 27th verse is where we're going to begin reading, but I'm going to go back and read the 26th verse just out of the text that I have here. When he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. That was Barnabas who had brought Saul. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church, and they taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. And in these days came prophets from Jerusalem unto Antioch. And there stood up one of them named Agabus, and he signified by the Spirit that there should be a great dearth throughout all the world, which came to pass in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, every man according to his ability, determined to send relief unto the brethren which dwelt in Judea, which also they did, and they sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul." Now, in a few moments, you're going to understand a little bit more carefully or clearly. I'm extracting from the 29th verse, determined to send relief. And I want to expound and build around that in a few moments here, determined to send relief. And so let's just go right to prayer. Let's ask God to bless the Word of God, and let's open our hearts, our minds, our imagination. That You know, it's very hot outside, and it's filtered its way in here. And they're doing their best to, to cool the sanctuary. But, you know, on the flip side, you're a little more energetic as a congregation. <laughs> Just to be honest, no chosen frozen in here today. So, Father in heaven, we're so grateful for this privileged opportunity to go to the Word of God. We ask that there would be an anointing added both to the preaching and the listening or the hearing of the Word of God. We recognize that in ourselves, there, in, in myself, there's no ability to adequately articulate these truths. But if you add your anointing, then I know today, God, that you'll speak a good word through my life to the men and women that are gathered here. It's in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. And as you're seated today, you know, our church has been a church that is non, none different than many churches across the United States and even around the world that has been rocked by the recent things that have been transpiring you know, on the streets of major cities, not just in the United States, but around the world, from the unfortunate killing of police officers who have dedicated their lives to protect and to serve, to the mass confusion, what we saw in Nice, NICE, France this past week, uh, with the uh, blatant, you know, terrorist, Islamic terrorist attack on those men and women. Uh, and, and so that's been on the hearts and minds of a lot of people. You can't escape it. it. Surrounds us. We think about it. We ponder things of that nature. Well, two weeks ago, I preached a message, and maybe you will remember it. It was concerning the judgment of God. And because I was alluding to a sermon title that had been ministered by uh, the daughter of Billy Graham, uh, Ann Graham, or is it Ann Graham Lutz? Yeah, Ann Graham at the conference that I attended. And when she spoke and she made that, that, that statement that she believed that America was under the judgment of God. And at first, 
My heart was taken back by that message, but when she brought clarity to it, I found myself certainly in agreement with it, and I elaborated upon that. And uh, because I went and I concluded in that message with this emphasis, what does the judgment of God look like in the dispensation of grace that we live in today? And I've asked the question, is it wrath and indignation? Is it trauma, warfare, pestilence, and disease? Or are all those things aforementioned reserved for the day of wrath, which we're going to talk more about. I'm going to expound that to you in just a few moments. And I arrived at the conclusion that the judgment that Sister Ann was speaking of and what I was in agreement with, the judgment was not necessarily the judgment of God like in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah when God poured out fire and brimstone upon the cities of the plain, the Scripture says. But rather, in Romans 1, it spoke about how that God gave them over to a reprobate mind. In essence, God took a step back and simply said, you want things this way, that you sow to the wind, of the wind you'll reap the whirlwind. And, and so that was kind of the conclusion. In essence, God's judgment was determined at least from this pulpit, maybe not in all of your personal theology or others' theology, that you can reap what you sow, and you can sow to the flesh, and of the flesh you will reap corruption. And that can be applicable to an individual. It can be applicable to a family. It can be applicable to a church, or it can be applicable to a community. It can just go on and on until it also envelops the nation as a whole. And so, here's something that I want to just say to you just real quickly. You and I have to be very careful making large-scale predictions. We have to be very, very careful. Our tendencies as Christians are to apply historical texts that were related to biblical Israel or the nations of old, such as Edom or Moab or such as Egypt and Assyria and how that God spoke judgment against them through like the prophet Jeremiah or the prophet Ezekiel. And uh, we have to be very careful because the tendencies of many Christians are to apply those historical texts and make a similar application in our generation. Now, here's the reality. is this right here. You and I know that there's been a lot of confusion that has come through well-intended ministers, lay people, self-proclaimed prophets, who often in their frustration with the perilous times of their generation. You know, the Bible says that in the last days that perilous times shall come. And often that is echoed and we see that sentiment kind of in every generation. And oftentimes when ministers feel the pressure of those perilous times, they begin to make uh, some type of prophetical you know, announcement that this is the direct judgment of God. And I just want to caution each and every one of us. We've got to be very careful. We've got to be very careful labeling things as the judgment of God. I'm not saying that you may not be, that you're, that you're not a prophet, but I'm going to say even if you are, you still better be very careful. And I alluded to just real quickly, and I'll allude to it again today, but remember when James and John, the two sons of thunder, were frustrated with the citizens of Samaria because they had rejected Jesus. Because the Bible says his face was set as it would go to Jerusalem. You had to go through the region of Samaria to get to Jerusalem. He wasn't wanting to stop and minister. He was en route. The cross was nigh in front of him. And when they rejected him because they could tell that he was 
set to go. He wasn't really interested in ministering to the Samaritans at that particular time. That they kind of to a degree rejected them. And James and John, in their religious fervor, said, Lord, would you have us to be like Elijah and call fire down from heaven and destroy them? And remember what Jesus did. The very hand that would soon be nailed to a tree pointed right in the face of Peter and John and rebuked, or James and John, and rebuked them and said, You know not what manner of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. So there is a balance, come on, that we have to maintain. Now, let me pick up something here. I just want to just share this with you. But despite the fact that we know better, did you know so many historically have made predictions concerning events that they believed were uh, preliminary to Armageddon or some uh, cataclysmic event. I'm just going to go out on the limb. I'm going to share some of these with you today because I want to address something here in just a few moments. Even the assemblies of God, the fellowship that you and I know and love, but in World War I, during World War I, this is a newly formed group of uh, uh, churches called the Assemblies of God in the Weekly Evangel. It, was, it carried this prediction. We are not yet in the Armageddon struggle proper, but we are at its commencement. And it may be, if students of prophecy read the signs aright, that Christ will come before the present war closes and before Armageddon. The war preliminary to Armageddon, it seems, has commenced by the Assemblies of God in 19... Such, they didn't give an actual date. Now, another one on, let's go down. Let's just even look at men and women that, you, that we have great respect for, such as Martin Luther, who nailed the 95 Thesis to the door, the church of Wittenberg, Germany, where he condemned the, 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 the Pope and the, the Catholic Church and all the atrocities that had been committed upon the people of God that, that Luther himself ventured to predict. For my part, I am sure that the day of judgment is just around the corner. It doesn't matter that we don't know the precise day. Perhaps someone else can figure it out, but it is certain that the time is now at end. The founder of the Presbyterian Church in England, or one of the fathers of the Presbyterian Church in England who lived from 1562 to 1607, he predicted that between 1650 and 1695, we would see the conversion of the many Jews and a revival of their nation in Palestine, the destruction of the papacy, the marriage of the lamb and his wife. Let's go just a little bit further because y'all shout me down when I'm preaching really good in here today. The well-known Scottish cleric Edward Irving. Now, this is a very important man in history because he is a bridge that linked Pentecostalism. He brought Pentecostalism into mainstream churches in, uh, in England. He was the forerunner of the, what's called the Catholic apostolic church now when you and i think catholic we simply think of roman catholicism but the word catholic just simply means universal so this was a reformation of apostolic church and he wrote in in a article he said i conclude therefore that the last days will begin to run from the time of god's appearing for his ancient people and gathering them together to the work of destroying all anti-christian nations of evangelizing the world and of governing it during the millennium 
the times and fullness of the times so often mentioned in the New Testament, I consider as referring to the great period numbered by times. Now, if this reasoning be correct, as there can be little doubt that the 1,265 days concluded in the year 1792 and the 30 additional days in the year 1823. We are already entered upon the last days, and the ordinary life of a man will carry many of us to the end of them. In his book of prophecies, Christopher Columbus predicted that the world would end during 1656. John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist Church, who I have great respect for, he was, a prayer, he was a forerunner to Pentecostalism. He foresaw the millennium beginning in the year of 1830, or he said in this year. He wrote that Revelation 12 and 14 referred to the year 1058 and 1836 when Christ should come in 1836. Charles Russell, who founded the Jehovah's Witness declared that the battle of the great day of God Almighty, the date of that close battle, is definitely marked in Scripture as of October 1914. It is already in progress. It's beginning dating from October 1874. Just a few more, but let's go on. The founder of the Worldwide Church of God told members of his church that the rapture was to take place in 1936. If it did, y'all missed it, just so you'll know. And that only they would be saved. And after the prophecy failed, he changed the date three more times. William Brenham, if anybody studied the healing ministry, the healing revivals of the 40s and the 50s, there was none more prolific than William Brenham. Miracle after miracle after miracle accompanied his ministry, but he predicted that the rapture would occur no later than the year 1977. Pat Robertson, in, you know Pat Robertson of uh, CBN founding? Robertson predicted the end of the world would come in 1982. Lester Sumrall, one of my favorite preachers of old, apostolic, have the greatest respect for. But he predicted the end of, uh, of the world in 1985. And then he uh, uh, re-predicted the end of the world in his second book, I Predict 2000. Even Nostradamus has been stated as uh, saying that in 1999, the king of terror would come from the sky and would lead uh, seven months uh, uh, of, you know, atrocities on the earth. Jerry Falwell foresaw the, foresaw, listen, this is why I say you've got to be careful looking at things that are, t- that are tumultuous around us and saying that's from God. Jerry Falwell foresaw God pouring out his judgment on the world January 1, 2000. Tim LaHaye and Jerry Jenkins, the authors of the Left Behind uh, series, these authors stated that the Y2K bug would trigger global economic chaos, which the Antichrist would use to rise to power. Y'all remember that. As the date approached, they changed their minds. Isaac Newton predicted that Christ, Isaac Newton, who gave us the theory of of, uh, gravity, would would begin in the year 2000, his book, Observations from the Prophecies of Daniel, and the Apocalypse of St. John. And once again, Pat Robertson in his 1990 book, The New Millennium, Robertson suggests this date is 2007 as the day of Earth's destruction. And lastly and familiar to many of you was the blood moon prophecies that was first predicted in 2008 by Mark Blitz and kind of echoed by John Hagee. Now, these men don't go all the way out on the limb and preach that, that his return is certain at this time, but they kind of lean to that the tetriarch of the blood moon in 2014 and 2015 
would be something related to the second coming of Christ. Now, the only reason I took that much time to, to just uh, draw your attention to this is to say this. There's been a lot of confusion and a lot of harm that has come to the body of Christ by people that looked at turbulent, every one of them was grieved while what was going on around them. There was war, there was pestilence, there was adverse conditions, perhaps there was persecution against the church and they felt like surely these are the signs of the end and they began to propagate that it must be in association with the return of Jesus. And we could debate this doctrine back and forth, but I just wanted to say this today. We have to be very careful looking and saying the things that are happening in the earth today are the actual result of God's judgment. Because I'm going to show you. I said it two weeks ago, and I'll say it again today. The greatest mark that the world has ever known up to this point of the wrath of God, the greatest uh, demonstration of God's wrath was not when he cast the Egyptians into the sea when, they, when Israel was delivered and they tried to come through the sea that had parted and God brought judgment on, on, on Egypt and the greatest wrath was not when he poured fire and brimstone down upon Sodom and Gomorrah. But let me tell you where the greatest uh, uh, you know, exhibition of the wrath of God, it was the cross of Calvary. It was there because, see, we deserve death and, and we, we had sinned and God is holy and God is righteous and we were sinners and God determined that he needed to punish sin. But God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He shrouded that one man in flesh and blood and he put, the, he put all the sin dead on that man and then God doubled his fist and he crushed his own son on the cross so that the blood that flowed out of seven fountains on that fateful day would reach all the way back to a garden called Eden and then reach all the way ahead to the last man ever born of a woman and wipe away the sin debt and give you and I access to a holy God. That was the greatest uh, moment of God exhibiting his wrath. And now we're in a dispensation called grace. God is merciful. Now God is still righteous. God is still judge and he will judge the world. For every man and woman, boy and girl that trods underfoot the blood of that covenant will face the wrath of God. We're going to go to Romans 2 for a few moments. And I may have to condense this a little bit. But I'd like to bring this on the screen because this is what, we, this is what I alluded to for just a, uh, a little bit last week in paraphrasing. But I want you to read it because I believe in the judgment of God, church family. I'm not trying to take away from uh, the fact that the judgment of God will come on unbelievers. We are sure that the judgment of God. Paul said, I'm not debating this. This is not open to debate. We're sure that it will happen according to truth against those which commit such things. And that's connected to the sins of the flesh that were mentioned at the end of Romans chapter number 1. So let's turn it over. And think thou this, O man, that thou judgest them which do such things that doest the same. So you've got to be careful. You've got to be careful when you're cast in judgment. He said, because if you're not careful, he said, then how will you escape the judgment of God? Fourth verse, let's read it all the way down. Despisest thou the riches of his goodness and the forbearance of his longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. It was God's goodness that led men repent. It's God's goodness that allows you and I to come to God with soiled hands and sinful hearts and cry out and say, God, I trust the blood of Jesus as my atonement, God. Would you make me whole and make me clean? And God will make you a brand new creature. And you'll be a new creature in Christ. That was his goodness. He said, but, but. If, if you in your hardness and impotent heart, you treasure up to yourself wrath against the what? 
the day of wrath. So what the author Paul is saying, it's treasured up. God stores it up. There is a day of wrath coming. When? At the righteous revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Let's read it all the way through. I think we're going through the eighth or ninth verse. Who will render to every man. Nobody will escape that judgment. Right? Nobody will escape that eternal judgment. Every man according to his deeds. The seventh verse. To them who by patient continuance and well-doing seek for glory and honor, then God says you're going to be granted immortality and eternal life. If you're in the fold, if you're in the family, if you're a part, as it said in the song, that you're a part of God's family and royal blood flows through your veins, then immortality and life. But if you're contentious and you don't obey the truth and you've turned your back on what Jesus accomplished on the cross, then he said indignation and wrath will come to you one day. Because you can escape the trauma that's on the streets of uh, the, the, the metropolitan streets, uh, you know, in America. You can escape some of that trauma by living in the hills. You can go up to Shirley and buy you 40 acres with a cave. And you probably won't ever have anybody. You know, you, know, you, won't, you may never be in that chaos. But if your heart's hardened against God, come on, you won't escape the judgment of God. Because it's appointed unto man once to die. And after this, the judgment. And so here we see, I, I, let's read one verse additional. Acts, we'll stop there. Well, it says that the 16th verse. Can you jump on down to the 16th verse in Romans chapter 2? It says, in the day, look at that, in the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ. And he echoed this in Acts 17 and 31. But the apostle Paul said, God has appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness. By who? By the man he hath ordained. Till that time, let me say this to you. God is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so today, what I know about God, God is still gracious. He's merciful. He's benevolent. He's loving. He's kind. And he's just. Yet at the same time, Galatians said, but he will not be mocked. So for whatsoever a man sows, that shall he reap. If you sow to the flesh, it doesn't matter who you are. Then of the flesh, you're going to reap corruption. If you sow to the spirit, you'll reap life everlasting. So let us not be weary in well-doing. So in due season, we will reap if we don't faint. So don't get caught up in everything that's going on around you. You keep doing what God's called you to do. Come on, you can't hide your light under the bushel. You've got to get it out of the bushel and get it on a hill so it can be seen. These are desperate times. We don't need a church hiding in the four walls of a building afraid that the sky is falling. We need a church shining with the power of the love and the life of Jesus Christ. That's what we need in our generation. Therefore, he said, as you have opportunity, we need to do good to all men, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Now here, I want to say this. You and I can't live in ignorance. You know, we can't pretend that there aren't bad things that are happening around us. We can't hear that the drums of warfare may be beating. I mean, we, we know that we live in disrupting times. But you and I can't hide in the rocks. Hope the rapture will take us out while we do nothing for God. Come on. You can't live in fear and intimidation. The reality is we may suffer. In order to live godly in this present generation, we may suffer. But listen to what Peter wrote to those in his generation who were suffering. He said, rejoice inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings. Because when his glory shall be revealed, 
Now, I believe this glory can be revealed at his return, but he also gives us little pockets of glory, even in the midst of our suffering. He just lets his glory be known and received. He said, you may be glad with exceeding joy. Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God. Here's what you've got to do. Commit the keeping of your soul. God, I commit my soul to you. I didn't ask to be put in this situation, God. I know that I'm living in difficult days and bad things are happening unto me, God. But at the same time, you did say in Romans 8 and 28 that all things would work together for the good of those that love the Lord thy God and those that are the called according to his purpose. And that's why if you read the end of that chapter, Paul concluded and said, I don't really care. Tribulation, distress, death, life, it doesn't matter. Nothing can separate me from the love of God that I have. I feel like preaching in here today right now because no matter what's going on with all the atrocities that are taking place God still loves you and nothing can keep you from the love of God in Christ Jesus and so he said in the 19th verse he said if you suffer according to the will of God then you you commit your soul to the to the creator the faithful creator so I want to take a moment of time and talk about predictive prophecy because I believe in prophesying I believe in predictive prophecy. I believe in individual prophecy. It is hot in here today. I will agree. I may preach on hell and get Jojo to repent today. I don't know. Uh, it is warm in here. But nonetheless, let's go a little further. The gift of prophecy. You've seen the gift of prophecy in your life. I've seen it in my life. Uh, God's helped me through the gift of prophecy make good deci- better decisions, right, on an individual basis. And so there's a, what we call the simple gift of prophecy. He that prophesies speaketh unto men unto edification, exhortation, and comfort. I'm not going to teach on the gifts of the Spirit today. I believe if you're Spirit-filled, all can prophesy. I believe the Spirit of a prophet will rest and can rest upon every person that's got the baptism in the Holy Spirit. But then there are those that are appointed to the office of a prophet. Apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Those that they have not only just the gift of the simple gift of prophecy, but they're in the office. They speak to the church corporately. They speak more than to just individual situations. They may speak to individual situations, but they also may speak to the church as a whole. I'll give you an example of this. The prophet that was mentioned in the book of Acts chapter 11, we're going to come back to in a moment, but I'm going to share with you real quickly. In Acts 21, the apostle Paul and his missionary team has stopped in Caesarea. He is, and he's uncertain of what his future is, but the Bible says a certain prophet came from Jerusalem, went down to Caesarea, found the apostle Paul, took a, a belt, and, he, and he, uh, he took Paul's belt, and he put them around his own hands, and he said, thus saith the Holy Ghost. He said, whoever owns this belt, their hands are going to be tied when they get to Jerusalem. God gave him a word of warning to the apostle Paul for what was going to await him when he got to Jerusalem. Does everybody remember that in the book of Acts, the 21st chapter? But what we read in the 11th chapter is that that same prophet spoke a much broader application. This time it wasn't just to an individual but it was to the, kind of the response of the church as a whole. We read in that opening text that during those days when the church was experiencing revival in Antioch, a certain prophet again came from Jerusalem named Agabus. And in the midst of a worship service, maybe like what we had and people were worshiping God, the Bible says he just stood up and he spoke by the Spirit that there would come a great dearth, which would mean a drought, which would lead to famine. He said, over all the world, King James English. And what that means is over not the entire globe, but the, all the known Roman world. All the known Roman world. And the Bible plainly says, listen to this, the Bible plainly says that, uh, that it came to pass. Just like he had said. Because did you know that's what the Bible says about a prophet? 
says that if he's a prophet, then what he says, it needs to come to pass. It plainly says here in Acts 11, he said, which came to pass in the days of Claudius Caesar. And I'm telling you, that could be a fearful thing. Think about this word that's already been written. It's been written to Christians that are at Antioch who have already experienced the persecution of the Jerusalem Judaism temple. They've been ousted. They had to leave. Many of them were, were flushed out of their homes, out of their traditions. They had to move to, to other cities. And then you always had the, the iron fist of Rome that was always squelching anything that was perceived to be of religious zeal that could in some way, you know, conflict with the Roman emperor. So they lived in that turbulent time, and now here's a word from a prophet so that not only now do you have Judaism and you've got the threat of those that are trying to kill you because you used to be a worshiper of God through Judaism, now you've embraced this sect of Christianity, and then you always have the oppression of Rome, and now, now the... Now there's going to be a famine. I'm telling you, those were desperate days. Those were tough times. But notice what the Bible says that they did. And this is what caught my attention. When they heard about what was about to take place, then the disciples decided that they would go and buy land up in the hills and hide out and build, and, and, and build a monastery or hide in the, 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 the rocks and, and, and holes and dens of the earth. Is that what it said? No. They said, this is our opportunity. This is our moment to step out of the dark and into the light. This is our moment to show that with God all things are possible. This is our moment to send forth help from the sanctuary. Come on, somebody. This is our moment to pull our resources. Why does it say that they would minister to Judea? Because Judea is in the southern part of Israel. And it's more subjected to the desert climate. And so, therefore, they said, we got to help these brothers because they're going to go through uh, greater uh, difficulties of dealing with the drought than we that are around these other uh, areas that are not uh, as, as deep into the, the desert climate. And so, they determined to send relief. So, let me tell you today what I believe God wants you to hear before I share some things in closing. And that is, you need to determine in your heart, you're not going to live in fear. You're not going to be backed into a hole somewhere. You're not going to cry out and say, uh, you know, the sky is falling. What you're going to do is you're going to say, God, come on, the God that holds all things in the palm of his hand. I don't know whether these are the exact end times or not. I don't know. I'm just going to live my life every day to the glory of God. If that means we suffer, then you know what? We suffer. It just means, but in suffering, we're going to let the light of the love of God shine through our lives. That's what we're going to do. We're not going to have fear. We're going to trust the Lord to keep us. So here I go for just a moment in transitioning to close the message. So you might come to someone like myself and you might say, well, Pastor Brown, with everything that's going on around us, and unfortunately there was another shooting this morning or last night with police officers on the streets of Baton Rouge and our heart is in travail uh, and, we're, and we're grieved and we're, we're frustrated and we're angry with some of those things that are taking place and we should. Come on, somebody. I'm not telling you to, to be passive. Bible says in, in Romans 13, live peaceably with all men as much as lieth within you, right? And so I know that there's sometimes there's a, a place where you go, this is as far as I can go. But listen, here what questions might be in your mind. Is there going to be a global war? Is there going to be an economic collapse? Will America survive? That's a great question. Will Islam dominate the world? Will there be a world leader that many believe or perceive to be the Antichrist. And on and on the list of questions could rise. So as these others gave their predictions 
I might as well too. I'll be on somebody's list the next time another preacher reads a list like my, I just did. Here's my predictive answer to you, to you, to those questions. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I cannot tell you. But here's what I do know. Okay? So let me tell you what I do know. The Western world is being confronted with radical Islam and non-radical Islam. And the challenge is it's often difficult to distinguish between the two. And it's easy for us to label all Muslims radical but we're not as blind as President Obama because we do know we don't want to do that. We don't want to label them all as radicalized. But we do know that the pool that they fish from are from the non-radicalized Muslims. Right? So at the same time, listen, it's difficult to distinguish. And here's what we know. Islamic extremism is going to continue. So you better just get ready. It's going to continue. I don't have an answer for you. I don't know what the end's going to look like, but I'm just telling you it's on the rise and it's going to continue to be on the rise because there's almost 2 billion Muslims around the world. It's just barely below Christianity and they believe it is after it's outpacing Christianity in its uh, evangelization. But here's what I came to tell you. Despite all that, there are ministries that are targeting Muslims that are leading Muslims to Christ. That people that are being forced out of Syria because of the war, many of them in those refugee camps are being exposed to the first time to the power of the love of God through Christ Jesus, and their hearts are being opened to the gospel. And you say, Pastor Brown, can really even somebody who practiced jihad be converted? There was a man by the name of Saul of Tarsus that practiced religious jihad. He hated Christians. He wanted to kill every Christian that he could. But on a fateful day, he was confronted with a, a man called Christ on the Damascus Road, and it changed his life. And you know what? Maybe God will raise up a former Muslim jihadist to be the next Apostle Paul. That's what I'm praying. Come on, somebody. I'm praying, God, you just turn everything that the devil meant for evil, and you turn it for good. Number two, the cultural war will continue in America. It's not over. There's been such a change in the American culture, the attempt to redefine. I don't know if I'm preaching a long time. I got to finish. I'm not even going to click on the watch and the clock. I will finish. The attempt to redefine marriage, sexuality, sexual identity, morality will continue. That challenge is going to be there. But here's your response. Walk in love. Walk in the light and hold forth the truth. Don't apologize for the truth, but hold forth the truth in love. Come on. We're not angry. at People were angry at sin and what sin and deception has done to people. I'm not saying there aren't times we don't get frustrated with people, but let me tell you this. There are ministries that are strengthening the traditional marriage. Come on. Even though there's a lot of, uh, you know, reshifting in marriage, uh, there are some ministries that are strengthening traditional marriage. There are ministries that are delivering the addicted. We are an addicted generation. But you know what? People are still getting set free from crystal meth. Come on, from all those things and alcoholism. There are ministries that are helping men and women who are in bondage to be liberated by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
Come on. And so, church family, there are ministries even that are reaching and leading out of homosexuality. They are leading them out into a, a life of holiness, right? And recognizing who they were really created in God to be. So, you know what we got to do? We got to just keep sending relief. We got to keep helping people as they help others. Now, I'm going to stretch myself out on the limb on this one. I only got a couple more and then I'm going to close. I'm a little concerned about this one. I'm just going to be honest. The public school system continues to fail. And I don't just mean educationally, and I don't mean it in any way in, a, in a, uh, any type of slur against our teachers and administrators that we have because we have had such a wonderful host of men and women who have been faithful in their service and they see their service to the, to the public school system as a service to God. But let me tell you, when you take all, Martin Luther warned. He may have missed it on his prophecy about the return of God and return of Christ, but Martin Luther warned. He said, when you take the scriptures out of teaching the young minds of young people, he said, I'm afraid that the schools will become the gateways to hell. So I'm telling you, I'm afraid. I'm afraid that we're going to see that continue. So, you know what, uh, I put it this way, and I don't know who I'm saying this to, and I'm going to be careful. I, I want to be very careful. I think there will come a day you'll have to be, uh, consider alternative means of education for your children. I'm, I'm afraid we're getting closer, even in rural um, uh, Arkansas. And if that's not possible, here's what I want to encourage you Christian parents. Be active. Be proactive. Be on campus. Elect Christians to the school board. And to all of our teachers, here's what I think about all the teachers at First Assembly. You know who you are? You are a missionary. That's the way I think about you. I see you as a missionary on that campus. Let your light so shine before men that they can see your good works and glorify your fathers in heaven. Let me tell you, it's time to get radical with your faith. If you're a teacher, don't, hey, I don't care. If you lose your job, oh, well, God will open up another door. But you be a light. You be a light on that campus. <laughs> Lastly... The reality is this. This is not I predict 2016, but this is just what I know. The economy is going to have to be reset one day. Right? I mean, there have been times in my life when I have had more, uh, I had more indebtedness than I did income. Have you ever had that moment in your life? And when you had more going out than you had coming in, something had to reset. Well, well, there'll come a day when the American economy and our government is going to have to be reset. And so let me just tell you, be prepared. What I mean by that is don't love money or things. See, when you thought I said be prepared, you thought, okay, pastor, you're talking about stocks, bonds, gold, silver, where do I even put this, you know. No, don't love money or things. Don't, just don't love it. It can be here today and gone tomorrow, but God will not be gone tomorrow, right? He'll still take care of those that love him. He's faithful. Don't be jumping off a building just because there was a change in the stock market and you lost all. You know what? You didn't love, lose God's provision. God's faithful to keep you. And so I believe all will be affected by the economic reset. I didn't say collapse. I said reset. So let me say this. Here's what I'll in closing. But don't stop being benevolent or a hoarder during those times of economic uncertainty. There was Paul, the apostle, writing to the Corinthians. And this is the last text I read. And we're going to close. The, he wrote in 2 Corinthians 8, he said, The grace of God is bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. And how did he discern that the grace of God was bestowed upon them? He said, In a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. And what that says is, is that they didn't wait till their stocks were high 
to become a giver. They didn't wait till they got the better job. They just said, God, if I can give, let me give. Let me just give. And so don't start hoarding and holding. You know, the Bible says there is a hand that holds on to and has nothing, but there's a hand that sows and has much. And God can bless your hand if you're willing to sow. So that's what I know. I don't know a lot of things, but those few things, I'm not trying to be predictive. I'm not trying to be prophetic. I'm just telling you that if you got any spiritual awareness at all, you can look around and the aforementioned things are happening around you. And they're probably going to continue. Won't y'all stand up with me today as Aaron comes back to the platform. In closing today here, and I've preached about 35 minutes. That's not that bad. Turbulent days. Here's what I know. Turbulent days are still in front of us. I don't know what the end is. I, I'm going to talk about a generation and the return of Jesus next year. I mean, you say, Pastor, do you know? Of course I believe in the return of Jesus. Lord, we wait for his return. We long for his return. We know that's only the, the one thing that's going. Listen, electing Trump's not going to set everything in order. And we know electing Hillary ain't going to set nothing in order. Right? I don't mind saying that today. But let me say this. We need Jesus. We need Jesus. So turbulent days are still in front of us. But you and I cannot fail to continue to do what's right. We've got to stand for what's right and we've got to be the light. I wanted you to see Agabus gave a prophecy. And it was a hard prophecy. Now you and I can read that. Well, it's going to be a drought in the land or something like that, okay? We went through droughts, but that was a big deal. I mean, you're talking about drying up all the resources. There wasn't a Walmart that they could run down to. If you dried up the backyard, you know, garden, you might not have food. And so it would affect everybody. And so Agabus prophesied it. It came to pass, so he had inclination. But did you know this? Nowhere in the text does it say it was the judgment of God. Nowhere does it say, and God determined to judge the people of the Roman Empire, and so therefore there will be a great dearth of land. He just said, look, something's about to happen. He heard from the voice of God. It doesn't say it was the judgment of God. And so in doing so, though, the church began to be proactive. They reached out, and they made a difference. And that's what I want to charge you today. I don't want us to be overly predictive because, let me say, you can predict the fall of America, but you know what? America can repent. A whale spit Jonah up out on the banks. And he walked through the city streets of Nineveh and said, 40 days and Nineveh will be destroyed. But the Bible says, from the king to the poorest man in the entire town sat in sackcloth and ashes and humbled himself, and God spared the city. So that can happen. It can happen. People can repent. But I don't want us also to be ignorant because we are seeing the rise of uh, Islamic extremism, and we're seeing the Islam just come to the forefront of Western culture. where we, It's been hidden from our eyes Come on. They didn't talk about this when I was in high school, right? We didn't, we didn't talk about Islam and, and things of that nature, and suddenly we're being confronted with it. But in the middle of all that, even as frustrated as you are, and even as you, uh, you know, there's a lot, maybe there's some strong changes that have to happen even in America concerning, you know, all those things about Islam. But at the same time, God can still save. Islamic people can be saved. So we're going to pray for them, and we're going to keep sending them missionaries. And help that there are people that are passionate about missions to, to uh, Muslims. So we're going to pray for them. We're going to send relief. My exhortation for you before we close is I don't want you to live in fear. You can be a difference maker. Here's what it said. They determined to send relief. 
You have to determine in your heart that you're going to send relief. You're going to make a difference. Our heads are bowed and our eyes closed. It's 10 minutes after 12 on this Sunday morning. You've been such a great, gracious congregation to allow me to stammer in front of you, minister the word. I want to give a twofold response here today, just real quickly. Number one, you know, even through my preaching, when I was relating to the judgment of God, and I made that statement that God's judgment fell on the cross, but that judgment will fall on you if you reject the cross. You say, Pastor, that's hard, but it's true. It is hard, but it's true. I didn't write it. I'm just relaying it. And that is, if you reject Christ, then you will face the wrath of God one day on that great judgment day. So why don't you accept Jesus today? I'm not trying to intimidate you. I'm not trying to use fear tactics. I'm just being honest. I'm just being honest with you. Jesus died that you might have life. He died so that you could know his Father. He died so that you could live with him in eternity. Will you... Don't reject him today, but will you accept him? Is there anyone under the sound of my voice and say, Pastor, pray with me. I'd like to accept Jesus as my Savior today. I'm looking in our congregation. There's a great number of men and women here today. Is there anyone? Teenager, is your heart right with God? Come on, family member, friend. Church, are y'all praying right now? There could be someone. Secondly, who here would just in a, a public display, just between you and God and in this moment right quickly so it's private yet public you're doing it in a public arena but it's still private that would just say pastor you know if, I, fear can creep into my heart and you've charged me today and I, I don't, I don't want to hide in the rocks I don't want to hide in the sticks I want to be the light I want to make a difference I want to determine to send relief so I want to just do that God help me so by the upraised hand you're saying pastor I'm just praying say God help me to send relief Help me to make a difference. Let me see hands. Y'all can raise them up. People all across our congregation are saying, I just want to be a part of that. I, I, I don't always have the answers.